Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, Zero Trust Principles with Senior Security Architect Dave Marcus and returning guest, Dr. Anna Scott. Dave, Anna, welcome to the show. Hey, Thanks for having me. I, I should say, Anna, welcome back to the show, but you're like a almost a regular on the show, Anna. Um, and it's, yeah. it's good to have nice. you back again. But Dave, you're new. We know <laughs> nothing about you, Dave. Um, my guests know nothing about you. So uh, let's hear a little bit about who is Dave Marcus and why are we talking to you today? Sure. I'm actually a rehire. So I recently just came back to Intel. Um, in the last nine months or so, I was originally part of the McAfee acquisition. So I actually worked for uh, Intel for several years after Intel had acquired McAfee. I was part of the team that developed uh, or was developing a technology called Deep Defender, which uh, was an integrated technology that Intel and McAfee were developing at the same time. And I've been in cybersecurity for upwards of 20 years, dealing with malware threats and then later um, developing uh, threat intelligence and full intelligence. Um, so been in the been in the space for quite a while, seen it from a, a very varied perspective from the endpoint to the network, and uh, lately just kind of working on putting it all together from a zero trust and platform perspective. Well, Dave, well welcome uh, back to Intel, and then also you know I'm glad we have a real security person because Anna and I we kind of fake it because um, we haven't been in the trenches around security like you have. Correct. So, uh, we, you know, we get to sit in our ivory architect towers and, um, and dream up new architectures that are highly secure, or at least we think. Now we have a real person here, uh, you know. It all works on paper, doesn't it? You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it does, it's, yeah. it's all perfect on that architectural piece of paper until a user has to do something, right? And that's when it all falls apart. <laughs> well, and, yeah, you're absolutely right. And today we're talking about real paper architectures today, because we're going to talk about the principles of zero trust, which come out of work that NSA did and then CISA has done. Um, so um, should we just dive into it? Let's just plow into it. I think that would be great. That's great. All right. So the um, there, there are, and, and they just added recently another pillar on on the, it was five pillars. Now it's six pillars, but one's a foundation. But let's go over those real quick. We've got workforce security, device security, network data, and then visibility and analytics, and then automation uh, and under underneath the covers, right? The the visibility and analytics yeah, this, and automation are kind of the, the Yeah, and, the, and there's one more that, that's in the, the CISA Zero Trust Maturity Model, which is orchestration. I'm sorry, did I say orchestration? What I really meant was governance. <laughs> so, governance. Okay. So they're, governance. they're essentially bringing automation and orchestration uh, as a single topic or a single underlying foundational requirement. And then govern governance is the next one. And then for some folks, uh, we'll use the word identity instead of workforce. So Correct. just to say those are interchangeable for us. Uh, but I think I, identity I see in a few more uh a few more places. So, I mean, philosophically, I mean, Dave, you've been around a long time in security. Mm -hmm. Aren't these just the, the general principles of really good security hygiene anyway? 
and they well, just kind of point. operationalize it or they've kind of standardized it? I, I don't know. What's the right word, Dave? So yes and no. Um, if you actually look at, if you take zero trust terminology, zero trust out of the, out, out of the mix, there's nothing new actually in there. There's network security, endpoint security, yada, 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 visibility, you know, things like that. Um, where, where zero trust flips things on the head is the fundamental principle of trust nothing, verify everything. That's the difference. So in the zero trust world, you trust nothing and verify everything continually all the time. That's different than the walled garden paradigm of I'm just going to take all my sensitive stuff and put it in the walled garden and I'm just going to put up a firewall and put some rules in the firewall. Mm-mm-mm. Zero trust flips the model by trust nothing and trust no one, verify everything, verify everyone and do it continually. Okay, you guys, just so my listeners, you can buy a trust no one, verify everyone t-shirt from our website, embracingdigital.org. I got to make some money somehow with this podcast. So I I love, I actually love this, right? Trust no one, verify continuously. Continuously. Um, And and that's actually one of the more complicated, I mean, we're kind of jumping ahead here, but pillar number six, like, um, like Anna was talking about the whole visibility and analytics thing. And, and then the orchestration and, uh, and automation part is actually extraordinarily complicated. So it's not just I log on once and then I am granted access to the one thing that I need. That's a small part of, of it architect architecturally. The point is to continually say and continually prove who I am and that I'm allowed to continually access that particular resource for very specific reasons. So when you look at the identity portion that Nana also talked about, it's not just who you are. It's not just a, a, a user logon and a loser, user token. It's actually a full Kipling policy, who, what, when, where, why, and how. That is what's supposed to go into identity, not just username, password, and token, but where's the device? What's the policy? What am I supposed to be accessing? Do I have the right job title? Am I logging in from a certain part of the world? Am I logging in off business hours? All those things are supposed to go into identity. So the monitoring aspect has to take all those things into account. Okay, so identity, I'm glad we brought up because we just dove right into the first pillar, identity. And I have one question around that. You said the Kipling model, which I, I get, right? Because in the past, it's who are you? and a password, yep. right? And then people go, oh, well, multi-factor authentication, right? So a password uh, and then something else, or something you know and something you have, right? Mm-hmm. Multi-factor type. But you're saying there's even more than that. Where are you from um, and who are, you know, there, all, all those things. Is there a temporal aspect to this as well? Like how long do I have access to an asset? Is, there is can that be. in the Kipling model? Because I've heard this concept of temporal, um, I, I, my identity is only good for a certain period of time. That's going to depend upon the policy that the, at the asset management side is trying to enforce or the, or the segmentation portion of it is trying to enforce. So it can be, meaning I'm just granting you access to, I'm just making this up, a web server and a web app for an hour. And after an hour... Your, your, your login goes away or your access goes away. So those types of things can be taken into account when you get into the other aspects of identity management, you know, the kind of the whens and the hows 
and the how often's in the locations. So for instance, um, Anna and myself, we're Intel employees. Um, we have high levels of, of access because of what we do for Intel. Let's say my user credentials and my login is correct, but all of a sudden I'm logging in from a part of the world I've never logged into before. That's a problem. So you see what yeah. I mean? So depending upon, depending upon how you're implementing that MFA, um, someone could have stolen my username, my credentials, and my token and legitimately logged in if the policy and the verification doesn't take into account all those other aspects of, uh, of the Kiplinger policy. Make sense? Yeah. No. And this might be a good point to say, like, one of the key ways that the zero trust architectures are going to be implemented is they really are, are around those policy enforcement points. And so bringing up the idea of policy, it's like yep. you know, there's a goal of what you're trying to achieve with trust nobody, verify continually, right, or verify in real time. But then there is the policy that is going to be key to, to really yep. setting you know, setting that up and making that how how your system is really working. So if you're reading through those very detailed descriptions from uh, the DOD and from NIST with respect to what the what a zero trust architecture looks like, you'll see PEPs all over the place with that. Yep. Which are the on. policy enforcement points. All right. So PEP, I'm glad you I'm glad you said PEP policy enforcement point. Mm -hmm. You're saying that this is our, our first acronym. Our first acronym that's right. <laughs> <laughs> There's more. Yeah. Oh yeah, there'll be a lot more. So, but this is oh, yeah. this is really important because that the PEP concept is critical to zero trust because yeah. before you just did your policy enforcement on the walled garden. That was the only place right. you cared about, right? So there was one point, and so the difference in a zero trust architecture is I've got several of these PEP points inside the architecture, inside the wall garden, if you still have one, um, it's, it's more, like you said, trust, trust no one, right? Sure. Well, and, and, and it'll go across, you know, we've only talked about identity so far, but the same is true with network, right? The whole idea of, hey, to, you know, your, your password and everything like work, but they're in the, the wrong place. You can also do controls to say you're not using networks that you normally use, and 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 so you can add another level of protection. That is, what's going on with respect to networks, and what kind of policies do you put around that to flag, you know, anomalous behavior, or to to really you know say, hey, if you see these sorts of patterns, you know, now's your time to to cut off that access because it's not it's not working to a known pattern that's been approved. So. Yeah. Um, you can get very complicated very fast, right? Well, and, and it, that's that. I think that's where a lot of our listeners are probably stuck with zero trust. It's so complicated, I can't implement it. So, but there's some basic, simple things that they can focus on first, right? Actually, you start with yeah. mapping one workflow, right? Which is which mm -hmm. is principle number one. It's like, it's like take one asset or take one data object and map the workflow to that particular object. That's your basis. So you're going to build zero trust around access to one object, let's just say. And that's an excellent place to start. Then that object has a policy, then there's gonna be a policy enforcement point in front of it, and there's gonna be a policy agent and a policy engine that manages the access to that data object through the policy enforcement point. But it all starts with mapping that particular workflow 
that you're looking to. Um, and that's right out of the guidance from, from the original um, Forrester documents, as well as any of the NSA and DOD guidance that start with one workflow and map that workflow. And that's excellent guidance. Okay, let, let's move on. Let's move on to device security. Because we're, we're going to have, a, just so the listeners listen, there's 20 episodes in this series. We're going to have a couple episodes just on identity, just on device. Mm-hmm. It, it, so we'll, we'll have the opportunity to go deep uh, later, which well, I know we can do it now, but we got to resist, resist the temptation. <laughs> resist the urge. Yeah. So let's dive into device security. So what does this mean? Does this just mean I'm locking it in a closet, physical device security? Does it mean I just keep my malware up? What What's the concept behind this? So that depends uh, how deep you want to go in the po- This is all going to go back to the policy <laughs> that you try to enforce for the validity of what accesses the, the data object or the, uh, or, the, or the object that you're protecting, right? So... Um, you can require a certain level of device security from a policy perspective. Bless you, Anna. Um, so, so again, it's it's going to be one of those one of those roundabout questions that goes back to the policy. So, a policy may say um, you can access this particular object for a period of time based upon your level of di- device security. You're not up to date on your patches, so you can't access the device. You can't access the web server at all. Let's just say. Or, or you don't have malware protection up to date, so you can only access this particular area of the network. So depending upon the level of security of the device mapped to the policy, you could be restricted to certain areas of access. Okay, so it's right. it's the same concept with identity, policy management around identity, but now we're talking mm-hmm. about devices. That's what I'm hearing. Is that right? Very similar, right? Very similar. And it, it all goes back to that policy. Sorry, Anna, didn't mean to talk. Yeah, go ahead, Anna. No, 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 my, my fault. So I was just going to say, like, you know, a lot of it is, you know, now you care a whole lot about your, you know, which laptop you're using, right? And is that laptop known to your organization? And can you confirm that it's something that is really allowed to be used, right? And, and so uh, if you push it even farther, you can say, uh, what was the supply chain behind that device? And do you trust it? And do you trust its manufacturer? And you know, do you have approval from your organization to use that brand of laptop because you have a high degree of assurance uh, that all of the components are what they say they are and nothing has been injected into, you know, into that device? And that becomes especially important when you're not just talking about a laptop, but you're talking about, say, a IoT device, right, is do you really want to trust that? Because now, you know, even though you're putting all of these policies and checks around, you know, can that really be in my network and involved in my system, right? The, those do become entry points. And so locking those down and understanding, you know, not just uh, what kind of data can they handle and how are they interacting with the network and what is their physical location. You do want to know that just fundamentally the hardware is, is what it's supposed to be, right? So you, you can get very complicated very fast again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this brings up something interesting that just popped into my mind. I'm a software developer. And security and I have this weird relationship, right? Because anytime <laughs> I hear security and IT, oh, we have security measures, it just means I got to hop through more things to get my work done. And same thing with device security. Wouldn't it be great if as a remote worker, 
which almost everyone is, or hybrid worker now, I can get access to what I need to on my laptop, on my phone, on a tablet. I want that portability um, to access across multiple devices. But what I'm hearing here is we need to lock down devices tighter. We need to tie those to individuals and tie them to locations. Isn't that going to stymie the flexibility that the hybrid workers are using and also the I IoT world, right? Where now I've got, like in my house, I have um, 75 devices on my uh, Wi-Fi. That's crazy, right? Because <laughs> I've got crazy. IoT all over the place. But I don't have zero trust in my house. I can guarantee you that. It's, it's a, yeah, it's not good. So, so there's actually a way to deal with that. So if you, if you flip the model and you talk about it from the point of view of the thing that's behind the policy enforcement point, let's talk about the device that's getting access behind the policy enforcement point. The, the only way that object should be accessed is through the policy enforcement point, right? So the policy enforcement point should be managing the application or the data that is being utilized during that transaction, right? So in, in a world where you're deploying it with the necessary technologies, the endpoint or the IoT device that's connecting to the policy enforcement point, that's done through an agent. So it should be managed and it should be watched. So you're not actually connecting directly to the asset. You're connecting you're, to- You're going through the PEP. Through a PEP only to the, what's exposed from that particular asset. So you're not connecting to the database directly. You're connecting through what should be an encrypted tunnel through the policy enforcement point. So you shouldn't be accessing it directly. That's the point of micro segmentation is it's behind a policy enforcement point which manages and monitors the entire transaction session. Okay, got it. All right, th this, this is helping me out. Now I got to figure out how to do that with all the different vendor IoT devices I have in my home, right? I, so this is not right. simple. This isn't something I can just turn on is what I'm hearing. Well, there's a lot of moving parts. Certain things can be done from the provider side, um, you know, with, with certain cloud implementations and things like that. You know, it can it can require it can push you a certificate. It can say, okay, if you want to access, um, if you want access to X Y Z asset, here you need to install this certificate. You need to install this agent, and then it does all of those things. So there are things that can be done from the provider and provisioning side to make it easier for an IoT device that doesn't have zero trust technology installed on it to say, all right, install this certificate, install this okay. agent, and then we'll allow you to access these particular assets. That's theoretically one of the strongest selling points, I think, of Zero Trust is that kind of that kind of methodology is pushing that agent out and then being able to access whichever things it is, you're authorized by, via policy. Make sense? Okay. Th th this goes back to the PEP is so important to that to that you know, trust no one uh, concept and ver verify continuously. Got it. All right. We need to move on to the next one, which is workload. This one's a little bit more, uh, is this applications? Is this services? It is. Anna, kick us off on this one. Yeah. Yeah. So same thing applies, right? I like your, you know, who can access your applications and what are your applications doing? What kind of data can they access? I mean, how are they fitting in with the system? Um, the same way you want to you know, secure your identity and your sources is you want to know your application can be trusted and has it tampered with as well. So you see 
the same sorts of controls coming coming into play. My understanding, and this is Dave, I'd love your your comment on this. My understanding is that is a, a one of the more advanced things. Like as a rule, if there's an application out there, we use it. There isn't necessarily a check to say, is the data that's being fed into this application the data that makes sense? And is the result of that application following the known patterns as well? And I, that's all possible, but I don't know how broadly that's really really done yet, but that level of granularity can also add this next level of security too. But sure. No, that's a great point. And and a lot of times people will use, instead of the word workflow, they'll talk about business flow, the actual business flow of the network. So what is the net so what does the company do for a living, so to speak? And what is that how is that business conducted on the actual network? What's the workflow? Um, what's the digital workflow of the business, so to speak? So for for instance, if it's a financial organization, like it's a bank and they do online banking, the workflow is going to be databases and web servers and things like that, right? Um, so it's mapping that workflow and saying, okay, how are my, how are the users, whether they're internal, external, or worldwide, accessing that from a workflow perspective? And then that's where you actually start putting in your zero trust components. All right, I need to put my PEP here. I need to put my policy agents here. I need to put my policy engine here. But it's okay. So the, the work, the, so the workflow or workload is more of a systems, a holistic systems approach yeah. where I'm, I'm looking Absolutely. at it from what are the systems providing, what business value are the systems providing to the business processes. Basically. So basically, I, I, I think this one's a, re a really good one because I think a lot yeah. of times I've seen this happen. Even when I was a CIO, we secured, I, we secured all the, all the PCs, right. in all of the, the laptops but we didn't secure the whole application stack, right? That's so right. highly secured individual devices and people were taking USB keys out the door with all of our intellectual property, Yep. you know? Um, right. So another we aspect, looking at the whole business. That's exactly right. right. And, and another aspect of this too is just, you know, does the user, right? Or does the person uh, with their device have the right to access um, that say critical application, right? So if you know most of the systems we we work with, right, it's like still a little bit of a, a walled garden, right? Because once you're in, you have access to everything that you know is out there. But but as you improve or as as you get further down in your maturity curve with respect to the use of zero trust, then that's like no no no. It's like it should be much tighter than that. It is does everything match up so that you actually can access. Yep this specific application, right? Not just everything that's this class of application or everything that, that your organization has available. Um, I did want to mention just super quick, right? The the expectation around zero trust is not like you turn a key and tomorrow you're, you're zero trust compliant, right? Um, that's why they have the system maturity curve is there's there really is this expectation that this is very much a journey. Um, and like all things in security, it's never ending, right? You don't ever get to say, hey, I'm secure and I'm going to stop doing stuff. But it is like, a, you know, assess your current situation um, and then say, where can you really start moving to adopt yeah. these principles? And so there are going to be multiple stages that you go through. And, and then kind of following back on some of the stuff that Steve Warren had charted out when we really early on started talking zero trust is, um, it's pretty much like you still have to understand what security posture your organization needs. And the first thing you ought to do is say, what's really important to you? Where's your important data? Where are your important applications? What do you really need to have an extremely high level of trust? And where does it maybe not have such an impact? And use that sort of baseline of, of what's 
what's the appropriate level of security for your business, right? Um, and then start applying your, your zero trust principles based on that because you can pretty quickly get to a, you know, hey, here's where we know we really need to tighten up, right? And so we'll start our, our journey with the focus on, you know, you know, on what you can really do and do today and then kind of chart out your path to just get more and more stringent with time. So, yeah. um, so okay. don't be too, too terrified of it, right? Because it's, it's not it, a- It's a journey. Yeah. I, I like that. In fact, we, we have a whole podcast episode in the series on the maturity curve, how to identify where you are and next steps. Yeah. Um, let's move on because we've got two more. Well, we got a lot more and not a lot of time. So network, this is probably the, where most security people spend all their time is in the network, right? Yep. Um, so this one seems to me to be pretty self-evident. How am I connecting? Where am I connecting from? Yep. That all, all those aspects. Does zero trust introduce any fundamentally different things in the network? I think it brings in more controls of the flows through the network. And I think that's a big deal. Um, so, you know, a switch is a switch, a router is a router, yada, 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 right? Um, but the whole point is how you actually go back to managing that workflow through the network, right? Is where do your policy enforcement points sit relative to that network, right? So, so which part of my lands are my critical database servers on? Um, and then I put my follow, so certain aspects of it are certainly the same. Um, and you just have to learn how to manage it from a zero trust perspective. But, and we'll get into this probably in the future, but there's also the zero aspect, zero trust aspect of the network itself, right? What does the network implicitly trust? What does the network implicitly not trust? So, but that's probably best left to a different, uh, a different. Day. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and, and I want to talk just briefly, does software defined networking really make zero trust much easier to implement? because it's not so static anymore. It can be much more dynamic. Correct. It actually goes a long way toward one of the bigger pillars of, uh, of zero trust, which is segmentation, right? Which is micro segmentation, which is right. one of the biggest deals and values actually that zero trust brings and software defined networks kind of do that by design, right? Yeah. You, know, you know, you can, you can manually configure networks through software and stuff like that. So it goes a long way. And I think they're part of a zero trust solution, but they're not, the zero trust solution, right? You know, because you have to be able to enforce policy through that software defined network. It's not just defining the software defined network, but it's managing the policy and the aspect through the software defined network. So they're, they're, they're together, but one doesn't. I, I'm hearing a common theme in the principles. This PEP is so important. Yeah. The policy enforcement point, right? It's so important. And, and I can leverage that on top of technology that's been around for decades um, to manage to manage the security posture of, of those different things, which move, and I got to keep us moving on because like mm -hmm. I, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get stuck. Data is the last of the of the top five pillars and then we'll talk about the foundation. Um, so data is this an, is this a new concept uh, data access? It seems like it's been around a long time, but we've kind of ignored it for several decades. Annie, you want to feel that one? So, well, I think Dave's already said this, right? Like much of this is not a new concept, right? What's what's different about it is is really uh, trying to get from like 
do a single verification and a single understanding that things are okay and move to like, how can you actually do the continuous, continuous monitoring? But especially with data, right? Data's, data's encryption, right? We've got great systems in place for how you protect your data in, in motion uh, and your data at rest, right? Um, there is still, uh, there's still need for improvements around uh, how are you really protecting your data in use. Um, and that's a bit of a different topic that, that hopefully is something that we're gonna we're gonna talk about when we get into the detailed sections on data. But uh, it, you know, encryption goes a long way towards towards that as well as you know, like total memory encryption, um, and just you know, what's built into your hardware to to be able to to protect your your data when it's flowing over a network. So, so it's so data is not only access; it's also encryption, right? Protection. So I, I think a lot of times when we think of all these things, we're only thinking about access controls and, and management. It's also protecting the data, right? Um, so, Very much so. All right. So the encryption and duplication of data when I need it and deduplication of data and data management. Where is my data? How is, got it. Okay. So and also, if you, again, if you turn that on its head and you think about the data when it's at rest. So the data when it's at rest in a database server or a whatever server, right? And how is access to that managed and protected? That's where, again, we go back to that policy enforcement point. So if you think about that, if the only way, if the only way I'm exposing access to my data through a database server is managed through that policy enforcement point, that goes a long way to data security. And then you have how we secure the data when it's at rest in the server itself, right? So you've got multiple levels there. So you've got the policy enforcement management, which is not allowing any access to that particular asset no matter, except for the one application that's authorized. But then the data itself can be protected at rest through encryption and a lot of other things. So I would, I would advise people to look at it both ways, right? It's how it's served out and then how is it secured at rest. All right, cool. All right, let's move to the, the next pillar, which is really a foundation. It has five aspects to it. Um, and this was just recently added this year, probably only two months ago, right? Isn't that? Sys added the sixth pillar, um, which which consists of uh, visualization and analytics, mm -hmm. um, automation and orchestration, and the third one, governance. Yep. Um, th this is interesting that they added this, that it wasn't in the original. Well, don't Any forget that. The, sorry, Darren, didn't mean to jump on. on no, go ahead. So the original workings of of Zero Trust come from the Forrester Group, and uh, I believe his last name is Kinderberg, right? And he, he talked about it from the point of view of architecture in how do you build a network that's resilient, you're not trusting anything, and you're verifying things. And, and I think in the original specs, when he originally talked about it, continuous monitoring was not terminology that was in there and analytics were not necessarily terminology that was in there. Um, and that's actually probably the one of the most key points to zero trust from my particular perspective, because that's where you get the continual authorization from, right? You, you log in and you're driven a token that gives you a certain amount of access, but it's that continual monitoring and analytic and, and governance portion that is the power of it. Otherwise it's static policies and you just have a firewall. Again, I, I was- Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, so I would actually say, the addition of the monitoring aspect, the analytical aspect, and the governance aspect actually makes zero trust applicable 
and in ways it may not have actually been originally conceived to be applicable because otherwise it would have just been a static architecture unless you're doing continual monitoring and continual analytics. It's okay. That, that that makes a lot of sense to me, right? Because it's it makes it implementable the the, the concepts. Um, and and like you said, to do continuous monitoring, to switch out tokens, to to make things more dynamic, you have to do it. I also love how in the end they talk about governance because a lot of times we just throw technology and say, hey, zero trust is all about technology. Um, we know that's not true. Embracing digital transformation is all about people, process, and then technology. So um, the governance side to me really says, hey, we've got to pull, we've got to change our process. We've got to change our policies um, in how we do things in our company. It's a philosophical change as well as a technology change. Um, so I, I, like, I like the foundation. I, to me, it makes it real. So, no, well, and true. it puts it up in a way that it actually, it's, it becomes doable at scale, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Zero trust is probably more about middleware than it is almost anything else, right? It's, it's about a lot of disparate technologies and vendors having to work together to embrace a, a larger mm -hmm. quote unquote solution or, or an, an ever moving paradigm, right? Because it's not just, you can't buy a zero trust solution. Don't work. None out there. Wait, zero. wait. Some vendors have already approached me saying that they have a, a zero trust solution that will solve all my single zero dashboard. trust problems. Single single dashboard, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. But the truth the truth is, there's many vendor implementations that address aspects of zero trust. You know, you have the identity aspect of zero trust that has to work in conjunction with the policy enforcement point aspect of zero trust, which has to work with the policy agent, which has to work with monitoring, which has to work right, with Right, right, right. So, so in the end, what you have to do is you have to embrace the middleware concept because it all has to work together. If portions of it are not utilizing the identity aspect of it, you got a problem. If portions, right, of, it, right. if portions of it aren't using the micro segmentation properly, you've got a problem. So you have to embrace how they work together to address the larger problem of zero trust. Okay, so th th this is awesome. I, 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 it gave me a, a better understanding of how this all fits together. For our listeners, you're going to be hearing from Dave and Anna again several times in these um, 20 episodes. There'll be that common thread to bring our, we're bringing in several vendors in the identity workforce device, workload, network, um, orchestration, all, all these different pillars. We'll be bringing in several vendors that have solutions in these space. And the common thread will be, how do we tie these all together um, in, in some high-level architectures? And that's where Anna and Dave are going to really tie everything together for us. Yeah. And do you mind if I ask Dave a question? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Anna. Yeah. So, so as we're talking through all of this, what this sounds like to me is zero trust implementations are going to be custom, right? Um, based on what the organization's needs are and that they are going to involve uh, multiple software vendors that will each have aspects that are critical for making sure that you've got all of the, all of the pillars covered, right? I mean, that sounds like that's, that's what, what our, our, you know, our customers can expect or what our listeners can expect when they're really going, going down this path is, um, there will be some complexity because they can't just 
go out of the box with something um, and they'll need to do their own prioritization as well as work within you know, the vendors that they, that they like and trust, but also the ones that can provide all of the elements that they have and will work with each other, right? So that they get, get what they want. So, so this is going to be a fun series, Darren. So I, I, oh, I, I think so more too. of a question I, than it was, but no, I, I, I look been nodding, to So I think that that's correct. No, so, um, that's absolutely right. It comes down to, uh, they all have to work together to embrace a larger, a larger problem. Um, and the problem is multi-vendor by definition, or the solution rather is multi-vendor by, uh, by definition. Well, that's the problem too. I don't know. Multi-vendor I, I, because, <laughs> you know, we can, we can get in that another episode uh, where uh, people don't <laughs> stay in their lane. So, hey no, guys, thanks for coming on today. And um, I look forward to the, the many discussions we're going to have over the next uh, 20 weeks. Agreed. Awesome. Thanks for setting up this series, Darren. This is great. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at Embracing Digital. Dot org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.